There are business leaders that are making so much more than profit in their enterprises. They're elevating their businesses, teams, and themselves to add more value. And so can you. Welcome to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show with host Chris Cooper. If you were looking for ways to elevate success while contributing to a better world, you'll want to listen in for the next hour. Now here's your host, Chris Cooper. Hello, this is Chris Cooper and a big welcome to the Business Elevation Show on Voice America. Wonderful to be back with you for yet another week. I hope you're all you know, keeping well wherever you are around the world. Um, incredibly, there's over 50 countries access this show every month. So it's just great to, um, to, to be able to communicate with you. And I do love to hear from you as well. So do feel that you can email me if you've got any thoughts, feedback, ideas um, of uh, a, a potential subject areas you'd like to explore. You do get in touch with me, chris at chriscooper.co.uk. And today, I'm, I'm really excited again today. We've got another amazing guest. Um, we, we've got Adam Strong on today, and we're going to be finding all out about Adam shortly. We're going to be talking about tribes, but hey, we can't miss out the opportunity to talk about the links with business and sport, because Adam's got an amazing, amazing um, CV and, and background. Before we do that, um, I'd like to say a big thank you to uh, my guest um, on the last show, Jessica Richards. Uh, Jessica is an amazing lady, um, psychotherapist, uh, has her own Harley Street practice, was voted one of the three best speakers for the Academy of Chief Executives in a decade. And we talked about uh, well, lots of things about kind of mindset, really, and dealing with COVID and, uh, and, and how to manage your own timeline, manage your own future um, so that it doesn't, it shifts trajectory, really. So if you're interested in looking at how can you really step up Elevate, what can we do to yourself to get rid of your limiting beliefs so you can move forward? Do check out that, uh, that interview. And then, then last week I had a holiday, um, so we played the um, interview uh, about my 400th show and all the lessons and learnings that I'd had. Um, so take a listen to that as well if you want to get a sense of some of the key things that I, I've learned through 400 episodes of the Business Elevation Show. So to my guest today, um, to Adam Strong. Um, Adam is, well, can you really describe him as an ultra high achiever? He's also a productivity authority. He's an entrepreneur, an elite athlete, an international speaker. Uh, he's um, also the founder of the Game Changers Experience podcast, which is, is, is huge. Um, I even saw it quoted the other day, I think on the BBC the other day. He currently runs three different businesses. He enjoys working with business owners, with entrepreneurs, small to medium-sized companies. This is really cool. Um, he, he trained for three years with Olympic and world champion um, athlete, uh, Sir Mo Farah, um, who's over here in the United Kingdom. He's completely revered. I mean, if he can keep up with Mo, um, he must be pretty, pretty astonishing. And he uses that skill set to help teach businesses to elevate their, their performance and get greater results. Um, he's written two books, uh, Move It or Lose It and Fit Body, Fit Business. His third book comes out in October, and he has this podcast, The Game Changers Experience, as I've mentioned. Now, I'm, I'm looking at this list here because Adam has featured on the front page. He's been the cover model on um, some amazing um, publications um, on um, People Magazine, um, um, Global Man Magazine, Huffington Post, 
people in uh, management magazine. He's interviewed some really cool people um, through his interviews and also shared the stage with the likes of John Travolta. Um, I wonder if he did a bit of a, a bit of a dance when he did that one. Vanilla Ice, Calvin Klein, 50 Cent and uh, Nido Cobain. Um, so a huge welcome to my guest today, Adam Strong. Hey, Chris, thanks very much. Really appreciate you having me on the show today. Really excited. I'm a big fan of the show. Very welcome. And it's, uh, it's great to, be, to have you here today. And, and, and I'm intrigued by your by kind of background. Before we should first say that you've got, a, you've got a British accent, but you don't live in the UK at the moment, do you? No. I, uh, well, you know, being an entrepreneur, I, you know, we all have choices in life, Chris, right? So for me... I navigate between Scandinavia, the UK, and where I am currently, which is in the Mediterranean, you know, because, you know, for me, life should be about having fun. It should be about having uh, free choices to do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, when, whenever you want. And, and for me, that's what I enjoy doing. So, hence, I'm here in the Mediterranean. Yeah, and it's Cyprus, I believe. Absolutely. What, 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 what do you? 120 like? days of your son. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, there's a you know not not a bad place to be locked down. I would imagine. Nah, we're it's it's it, it's it's a pretty good life. Good food, good good really good food, and uh, you know um, got a nice suntan going, of course, which is early on in the game, and uh, no, um, you know, it, it, obviously being in Northern Europe in the winter time, you get what what we call sad syndrome. You know, when uh, in Scandinavia in particular. Daylight is about five hours of daylight, and it's it's just really depressing if I'm honest with you, and it's just not my idea of fun. So, hence, said to the other half, I was like, "Hey, so I think we need to get out of here. Like, this isn't happening for me. Like, my my business goes down, my productivity goes down, like my mood goes down, everything goes down. We need to move." She was like, "Okay, let's do it." <laughs> there we go. I'm already getting ideas from you. We've only just started. <laughs> so, um, Adam, I'm, one of the things um, I was reading about your background, and and it wasn't wasn't not necessarily easy. Your background was it? You know, it was quite quite cha- quite challenging. Tell a little bit about um, you know your your challenges as a young boy and how that how that manifested itself into elite sport. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. Um, well, you know, for me, I didn't particularly have a, a great childhood. Uh, it, it, it was quite tough. Um, we lived uh, it with myself, my my youngest brother, uh, who, who's my middle brother now, and uh, my mum was a single mum at the time. And we lived off the state. We lived off. Uh, we lived in a council property, uh, which was, uh, um, we, and we basically lived off state benefits. So there wasn't particularly a lot of money and wealth that went round, Chris. And, um, and so, um, my mum suffered from, um, depression, uh, a lot, you know, she suffered from depression, uh, and, uh, being sort of the oldest person, you know, you try to, you know, you, you, you try to sort of, you know, care for people. I was trying to care for my brother. I was trying to care for my mum and stuff like that. At the age of 10, I, um, uh, we, we were, um, unfortunately we were taken away. We were, we were put into foster care and uh, I lost my hair through uh, a condition called alopecia, which is a common form of hair loss uh, through stress and worry. Um, it literally woke up one morning at my, when I was at, uh, in foster care and literally my hair just came out in, in like handfuls. Literally, it was just that. Literally, within seconds, it was all gone. Um, and, you know, back in the day, really, people really didn't understand what alopecia was. I had to go for 
had to be a, a, a human guinea pig essentially and um you know and, and what that did for me is it really knocked my confidence like really hit my self-confidence um i was so ashamed about the way i looked I actually wore a sports cap if you look at my my school photos from a young age all through my school photos i wore a sports cap so i'd wear my school uniform my sports cap i was the only one that was allowed to do so um and so interestingly enough um at the age of 11 and, and age of 11 was a age of 11 was a bit like hitting a midlife crisis for me it was a <laughs> it was really one of those um it was a, a life-changing moment for me more than anything else at the age of 11 because as you start to go through your changes whether it be through puberty you become a bit more self-aware consciously and self uh, subconsciously and uh, you start to make some different you start to start to question where things are going and stuff like that so um what happened chris is i actually got into uh into distance running um and uh you know it was through aspire aspirations through my father actually who started up running is like hey so you're going through a bit of a tough time why don't you go down to the local running club and you know just just jump jump in type of thing you know and reluctantly i didn't really have any mentor support structures um or, you know sort of encouragement when i was young it was only really kind of my my grandma and my grandfather who who but i didn't really see them that often and so it was just me so i went down to the local running track and i remember the very first time i went down there i turned up there and there was this lady behind the the counter you know the counter was about it felt like it was about six foot tall and i was kind of this small boy was and, and i was like hey so I'm, uh, I'm i'm here to inquire how to how to join the running club type thing she was like oh, okay no worries where's your parents i'm like i came on my own she went oh okay cool um what do you want to do and that kind of she started talking to me a little bit about what i wanted to do and i'm like well i kind of want to do some running you know my, my father's a bit uh, a distance runner so he introduced me to the um introduced me to the coach chris and uh i never forget the first time i went down to the running track because there was a running track which was all floodlit and all the things that was going through my mind was all negative and i'll tell you the reason why because i saw all these runners which really looked conditioned they looked like they've been doing it for years and um what that did to me is all those thought negative thought processes start to go through your head like you start to think to yourself can i do this am i really made up to am i good enough and you start to make judgments and you start to make comparisons between where you are and between where others are and so one of the first things that's coming into my mind is this is i am out this is way out of my league way out of my league um i actually met um my first coach my first coach called alex mcgee um alex was uh he turned what i loved about alex chris is he turned normal people normal joe public into champions he'd done it many many times over and uh and he saw something in me i i i didn't see it obviously because it was just me but he saw something in me and just it's interesting chris because i was also an asthma sufferer mm -hmm. so i was an asthma sufferer taking up running and everyone would say are, are you crazy why would you take up running and you're an asthma sufferer I could barely run 150 meters without getting out of breath. And so, and so I kind of, even though everything was against me, I just thought to myself, do you know what? What have I got to lose? I've got nothing to lose here, right? And, uh, and then I started to embark on, on my running career from this age of 11. And this is where I also met my training partner, Samo Farah. 
um, who you mentioned earlier on. And Mo was, Mo, Mo was kind of similar in, in a way, um, you know, very little English, uh, came from Somalia originally, was living with his aunt and his cousins, uh, abandoned as a child. And, uh, and, you know, it was, it was tough for him. You know, he grew up, he was bullied a lot. Same for me. I was bullied a lot as well. So, you know, it, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, that would be training days, Chris. And so, uh, and then Saturday and Sunday, we tend to compete. And then, uh, and then we would just, we would just basically just, uh, you know, I remember in the, in the wintertime, Chris, you know, it would be like minus one, minus two. I'd be in my shorts and vest. You know, as my it's like some some sort of superhero, and um, it would just be me and Mo. We would be at the back of the field, uh, on which basically um, is on the back of a, of an athletics track, and it was completely pitch black, Chris. Literally, Chris, uh, it was pitch black. And in the winter time, it get down to like minus two, minus four, and and it would be foggy. It would be misty. The ground would be extremely boggy, and this is where I started to learn some of the. Um, some of the skills that you need to be a successful athlete, such as persistence and perseverance, you know, without persistence and perseverance, it's easy to just throw in the towel. Right. Um, I also learned a really interesting skill called mental toughness. Mental toughness is more around mindset, you know? So um, I started to teach myself uh, the importance of visualization. You know, Jack Canfield talks a lot about this a lot. Uh, about the importance of visualization, they use they use self imagery as an important way to to propel people and move forward forwards. And so, what happened between me and Mo is that we would end up competing against each other. We would essentially uh, he would prompt me on, and I would prompt him on type of thing. And so it would be, uh, you know, it would be a really interesting sort of what I call partnership essentially. And so that's basically, you know, how it would kind of roll, rolled forward, really. And, uh, and obviously, within about six months, my asthma completely disappeared uh, within six months. Um, and, uh, and, I, and I started to see the changes. I started getting better and better, uh, all through persistence and learning. And listen, Chris, what's really interesting about my childhood as well is I'd get up about 5.30 every day. I would have to take a train to school. The train would take about 45 minutes to an hour. Um, and I would do this there and back every day. Okay. I didn't really have much time for, for after school clubs. And, uh, and, uh, and then I would have to train at least twice a week. Okay. I had literally zero time to myself. I was putting in all the hard work while all the other kids were playing video games. So I was prepared to make the short-term sacrifices for the long-term benefits, yeah. you know? So, so for me, it was, a, it was a real revelation, you know, kind of at the age of 11 and that kind of stuff. So I suppose for me, that's, that's really where it started in terms of running. And isn't, isn't it amazing how, you know, how your life changed around? I, I look at my, I had a very, you know, quite a humble background in the north of England, a steel town myself and I'm, I'm listening to parallels here because when i was a teenager my hair started to go thin and um and actually i've been fortunate in that those people who took the mickey out of me i do have more hair than them now um but um <laughs> but it was it, but as a teenager it was very distressing uh, actually and and you know and the, the the ridicule and the the jokes and um and it and it did really play with your self-esteem i remember chatting with um 
Duncan Goodhue about this, the swimmer. I don't know if you know yes. him, and because and he yes. happened yes. by falling out of a tree. Um, but you know, I, I wonder if you, looking back on that that boy now, what would you what would you tell yourself now, sitting in Cyprus, um, having no hair, by the way, is cool now. Um, uh, and uh, you look back on that and the life that you had. What would you what would you tell that younger younger boy? It's very simple it's going to be okay. You know, things will just work out as they come along, you know, and, and sometimes you have to go through um, life like that, unfortunately, to, to make the, to, to see the, to open your eyes up and, and, and kind of open up to the realizations really. So um, I suppose, you know, for me, 11 years old, that was, that was one of my first major, should we say turnarounds in terms of like me as a person, as an individual, as a personality. Um, so, yeah. And you were a little entrepreneur as well. You were, uh, you, were, you were finding golf balls, I believe, and selling them at a young age as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, do you know what's interesting? It, it, indeed. So um, as I said to you, you know, we lived in a, in, a, in a top floor sort of apartment, which was owned by the state and uh, living off state benefits, essentially. So, you know, at Christmas time, Chris, there wasn't a huge amount of wealth, wealth that went around because my mum just, just couldn't afford it, right? So when Christmas presents came around, me and my brother would share Christmas presents, whereas most people would obviously get individual Christmas presents. We, we weren't in that position to do so. So one of my big, uh, I suppose, one of my big uh, epiphanies, as such, we call it an epiphany, I was walking through a nature reserve and I, and I started seeing these um, golf balls in the streams and, and, and you know, not realizing that actually it, it was right next to a golf course. Um, and um, went back next day with a bucket and, and started jumping in the rivers and streams and started, you know, just getting a stick and just foraging through these bushes, uh, looking for all the good golf balls. Um, I didn't even, I didn't have enough money for Wellington boots or, you know, I just literally just take my shoes and socks off and just jump in and the water would come up to thigh to knee height and uh, literally just go around collecting golf balls. And then as I was walking around the fairway, a lot of the golfers would come up to me fearing for my safety because obviously I was 11 years old, right? I, I, you know, I, I didn't really give a two, two monkeys, if you like. They were just concerned about my safety. And then when they approached me and they're like, hey, so where did you get these golf balls? Like thinking that I might have done something naughty. And I was like, well, I've been finding your lost golf balls. I, I've been jumping in the rivers and streams. Uh, I've been foraging through the bushes. And, uh, and then this is where, this is where, um, negotiation and sales where i learned sales negotiation they start they looked in my my golf bucket and they're like hey so um obviously you've got a nice dunlop or a slazenger you know because brand meant everything so there was two things that met uh, that they were looking for number one was a good brand number two condition extremely important if it was in prestige condition then you get top dollar for it mm. so i know for a nike a dunlop or a slazenger you fetch maybe even four, if not five pounds, you know, because for, for a single golf ball, it would cost maybe brand new, maybe 12, 15 pounds for just for a golf ball. It's not, not a cheap sport. So then this is how we got into sales negotiation. Then we both will walk away with a smile on our face. And then I'd walk, walk back home with literally pockets full of coins. My mum would uh, interrogate me for the first time saying, where did you get all this money from? you know, thinking that I'd done something wrong, of course. And then I told her the story and she, she was obviously really proud of me. And so I gave, 
some of the money towards my mum and, and helping towards groceries and stuff. And I kept going back every weekend because it worked really well for me until I, um, until I moved across town, of course. And then it wasn't possible because transportation and it just, it just wasn't fundamentally worth it really. And, and, and then that's where I had to, you know, re, re, I suppose, reinvent myself and, and look for the next business opportunity, which was all about car washing, you know, and uh, living on a housing estate, I, I, I literally, I noticed one day that on Sundays, people were, you know, people were kind of washing their cars, but they didn't really enjoy doing it. So then I went around knocking on people's doors, asking people if they wanted their car washed, literally bucket, sponge, and that was it. Literally, that was it. That's all I had the money for. And then again, we would go into a sales and negotiation. And you know what? what what's really interesting about this story, particularly, Chris, is that I would say knock on 10 doors, right? But I'd always get three or four no's. And guess what? For me, that was okay. I would just be like, okay, no problem. Have a fantastic day and move on to the next person. Whereas in business and entrepreneurship, we t- can take it emotionally. Mm. And, but what we have to do is we have to detach ourselves emotionally from the outcome because we know as entrepreneurs and as business owners, we can help people. But what's important is that you don't put your agenda on other people. Because otherwise, you become emotionally attached and you don't want to be doing that uh, because, you know, and that's really going to affect your mindset as well, especially from a self-esteem and a self-confidence perspective. It's going to start to affect that. So, um, you know, that was, again, for me, just a way to reinvent yourself. And again, in times like this, you have to look at ways in which you can be nimble, adaptful, but more importantly, be able to reinvent yourself. Uh, and that's kind of what we've done in our business as well. And, and fast forward a few years and you have three businesses now. What, what do they do? How do you help people? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, our main business uh, actually is we uh, run, well, I run a, an international uh, business consultancy company now. Um, and the philosophy is um, based on some of the skills that I learned as an athlete and being able to bring that into entrepreneurship. But what we actually do is we work with uh, professional business owners to help them uh, to help them kind of become more entrepreneurial, purpose-led, um, fun because that's what business is about. It's about having fun, um, but more importantly, to, um, to to kind of be more um, uh, exciting and uh, innovative as well. So it's all about growing scale, you know. And a lot of people, a lot of I'll give you an example. One of our um, one of our clients um, who's a professional solicitor is at about 90% capacity and solicitors obviously make really good money. Um, she just didn't know how to grow in scale. So, so they came to us and I'm like, okay, so these are the things that you need. These are the people that you need. These are the systems that you need in place. And then we basically do it with a handholding approach, more personalized, more bespoke. And, uh, and, and now she is on, on course for, for hitting seven figures. So, you know, that's just kind of what we do. It, that's one of our businesses anyway. Excellent. And you've got some prop- property business and and something else. I don't know what that third one is. What's the third one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we've got a property business here in Cyprus, a property development company here in Cyprus. And the other one is uh, we're into uh, Forex and uh, cryptocurrencies. Ah. So that's just absolutely fantastic, you know, being able to earn money while you sleep. You know, it's the dream now, you know, especially with uh, – Places like Bitcoin just have been around for 13 years. You know, now's just the, it's the future, Chris, you know, uh, virtual uh, 
cryptocurrencies of the future and uh that's essentially where i you know where i kind of get quite excited about as well and uh so we partnered with a company that of basically i know nothing about forex trading by the way um they actually trade for us using a using ai and so what's what i really love it about is that they take care of it they take they trade the the investments for us the contracts for us and uh, we make money while we sleep so um, that's that's the beauty about it and we get paid in bitcoin every saturday yeah very very nice well i think it's i think it's lovely to have been through that journey with you really from um you know from that young boy with a single mom um from your you know challenge around you know alopecia which must have been really difficult to collecting golf balls to now having three businesses and well maybe touch basically you know having worked with the likes of john travolta and calvin klein on the stage and etc so i think it's great inspiration to have uh, heard your story today and for anybody who's listening you know what i think is is fascinating is um you know we can have high expectations of maybe um you know changing our life conditions but over over a period of time 10 15 years 20 years your life can be completely different if you um if you um you know develop your mindset so thank you for that. after the break we'll talk a, a more we'll talk about tribes because you've been really good at building networks and connections with people to help your business along i know you're talking about this subject and i think it's something that um could could help people uh, think about their business and how do they ensure they bring people along with them so we'll do that after the break we'll be back again with you in just a couple of minutes from the boardroom to you voice america business network would you like to work personally with the host of this show to help realize your potential Chris Cooper supports business leaders and high-potential individuals to achieve greater success in their businesses and careers. Support includes the opportunity to join a high-return group mentoring and mastermind program called The Achiever Program, one-to-one mentoring and coaching, facilitated leader development workshops and speeches. Email info at bemoreachievemore.com to arrange a free, no-obligation consultation to see how Chris and his team can help you. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into the Business Elevation Show with your host, Chris Cooper. If you have a question or comment about our show, please direct your emails to chris at chriscooper.co.uk. That's chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Now back to Chris Cooper. Hi, this is Chris Cooper. I'm with Adam Strong, and we've been talking about Adam's um, fascinating story uh, and background. Adam, we're going to talk about tribes uh, now, but very quickly before we do that, um, in, in our household, we're big fans of Mo Farah. Uh, and uh, of course, many of us, uh, lots of us around the world have heard of the likes of John Travolta and Vanilla Ice, etc. And um, what, what, what did you, have you learned just specifically from Mo's success? And uh, and, you know, out of one of those celebrities that you've had the privilege to work with, 
Um, and any any sort of key observation that you you want to sh- share about life, success, and life, and getting on in business? Uh, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> the thing with whether whether you be an Olympic athlete or a celebrity is that one thing that you have to take in consideration is that we're all born the same, and no one is uh, no one is born with a silver spoon in their mouth. I don't believe that. You know, we're all born the same way. Uh, you know, you're not it, magically, you don't magically have special skills, Chris, mm. you know, um, some people are just in the right time at the right place. Some people have, uh, it's down to luck. Some people are, you know, some people just have to work damn hard. I mean, if you look at Olympic athletes as an example, right, you know, it takes around 10,000 hours to be, I call a master of of your trade you know ten thousand hours is a lot of hours to put in but the big problem with a lot of people is they they just don't see that right they don't they don't put in the work in order to get whatever success means to them right so that's one thing to take into consideration and, and when it with regards to celebrities again um you know connections are really important especially uh especially in, in these times you know i i talk about there's a number of things that I talk about that entrepreneurs need in particular and business owners need in particular. And one of them is relational capital. It's not what you know. It's not who you know. It's who knows you. And um, those are, you know, and, and so when you start associating with people that are, you know, that are seen as more successful than you, whether they are a New York Times bestselling author, whether they're a celebrity, a Hollywood star or an Olympic athlete, you are who you become with the five most common people you hang around with. So, you know, for me, are there any common traits between Olympic athletes, celebrities, and normal Joe public? Yeah, the, the, the difference is, number one, it's mindset. You know, we talk about mindset. I'm sure that many people on the show are talking about mindset. Um, number two, they, you know, they, they, you know, we talked about luck and we talked about, um, uh, many different things, but I think it's a. We all have our own. We all have our own story, right? And uh, I, always, I'm a big believer in you know passion. You know, doing something that you're highly passionate about. You know, so if you're in a job right now, you're listening to me. You're listening to my voice, okay? And you're in a miserable job, and you're only doing a job because you have to pay the bills. Well, hang on a minute. Now, I. Here on planet Earth, human beings are the only people on this planet that can make one of one one of two one of two things. Number one, they can make choices. We are the only species on this planet to make a choice. So, one people some some people they say to me, "Oh, you're so lucky to be in Cyprus, Adam, and, and enjoy a, a great life." I'm not lucky. I'm de- it's down to choice. Anyone can choose to do so. Um, so, you know, it's not that I'm any, I'm not anyone special, Chris. I'm just a normal human being. I just see things slightly differently to maybe you and some, and maybe some of the listeners. So I think it's about, um, the other thing I was going to say to you is the importance of learning and growing. You can only, you can only be better if you learn and grow consistently, whether it be through reading books, whether it be through, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed doing. Is uh, is 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 uh, doing podcasts? You know, I really enjoy doing podcasts, like what we're doing now and having and kind of jamming and having fun. Yeah. You know, for me, 
this is a great way to get my message out, you know, and connecting with people. Um, so to me, this is, this is great. And also video, you know, some people enjoy writing articles. That's not really for me. And some people like writing, uh, writing books. You have to find your medium at the end of the day. But, um, you know, th there isn't really, there's, there's only some subtle differences between the elite and the wealthy and the super successful and normal Joe public. It's just that people have a different perspective of, and they choose a different path. I'm with you. I'm with you. And, you know, with, with, with podcasts, you know, you, you and I both, uh, both love this format. I'm coming up to 10 years of having, uh, having had a weekly, weekly podcast show. And well, you know, look at how my life has changed in those years and the, the friends that I have around the world and the people I mix with, I've just had a note mentioned to you about some amazing um, adventurer friends who are, uh, who are just in the summer doing a penny farthing uh, ride from um, the most easterly point in the UK to the most westerly point. They're trying to raise, uh, uh, they're raising money for um, some solar panels for a, a school high up in the Himalaya. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, the mid part of that ride, they're using my home as the stop-off point. And, and uh, I shall probably cycle with them as I did last year. But, I, I, you know, I, I get to connect with amazing people and have amazing friends. And it's in all I've done is I made the choice to do a podcast 10 years ago and, and, and I've invited interesting people and we've become friends. And, and it's amazing, isn't it, how your network changes through doing that? Absolutely, 100%. And you know, you change as a person. You do. You do. All this knowledge, talking to you, I will pick some things up from talking to you. You might pick up something from talking to me. Uh, and we take that knowledge, don't we, with us? And it, it becomes accumulative. And then we, we find we can add value. Now, I'm really interested to know, you know, you, we talk um, here about um, some of your businesses and you've, you've connected people with people around the globe. And um, this, I, I, I first came across this idea of tribes by Seth Godin. And, and I, loved his, I loved his book. And I know it's something that you, um, you've really taken and are kind of owning as well now. So, so what is a tribe for you? And, uh, and what, are your, 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 what does that mean? And maybe how does that link in with maybe being a leader too? Because we, we've just had a little chat about perhaps being, maybe we, we, in life we can be passive or maybe we can actually make a choice. Yeah, it's a good question, actually. And, and I'm glad you brought it, Seth Godin, because... When, when, I, when I teach this, when I teach about how to build tribes, I mention Seth Godin and I mention about his book because he's got a great, a great quote in his book. Um, but I'm going to kind of give you kind of the rundown about what my definition of what a tribe really is. A tribe is basically uh, the basic building block of any large human effort. Okay, that's what it's down to. And their effort is basically greater than any team uh entire an entire company and even their kind of what i call superstar high performers whether it be a ceo or or, or salesperson or whatever it might be but a tribe essentially is a group and and typically tribes are, are between say 20 and 150 people generally and uh, they, they know each other particularly well so if they went down them if they were walking down the high street or if they're walking down the street they would stop and they would say hello to that individual they they know them fairly well uh, a, a small company for example is an example of a tribe now if you work for a say a corporate company or you did work for a corporate company um, or a large company we call these tribes of tribes so they are so they are little pockets of little tribes 
within a company, okay? And then they gel towards kind of synergizing towards each other, all right? Um, now, what Seth Godin actually says is, is, he says, tribe is essentially a group of people that are essentially entwined or interlinked uh, or connected to each other, but they're connected to an entity. Uh, they're connected to generally an, a leader of, of that, of whether it be a company or whatever it might be, but they're also connected to an idea, okay, or a vision, okay? Um, and uh, generally, when I work, when we consult, we do a lot of work with, uh, with companies, this is, where, this is where a lot of failing companies uh, basically fall down. This is why they start to lose profitability. This is where they start to have um, negative, um, negative aspects of their culture start coming out. This is where people start to have a breakdown in communication. It's because... Um, they're not, they, they lose that vision. They lose the bigger picture. And uh, if you don't have that, then, uh, then, then, then guess what? It's a bit like ripping the soul out of a tribe. You've, it becomes soulless. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Completely. Really, really get it. Yeah. Yeah. We have some parallels in, in what we do with companies actually, I think. Um, cause for me, that yeah. purpose, that purpose is absolutely critical and getting that right. So I help a lot of companies develop that develop that purpose and bring it into the company and build a, a more engaged tribe um, around yes. that common purpose. I'm really, I really, really get, I really get that. Um, but anyway, how do you, um, how do you advise people around actually going about doing that though? What, what, what are the you steps? Mean, what is that? Building a, building a, you know, a stronger, a stronger tribe. Um, I mean, just, just as a bit of a parallel, a few years ago, I spent time with the Maasai tribe and I was astonished by just how connected they were and, and how connected around a common vision and looking after the environment. And, um, and it, was, it was beautiful to watch actually um, around how each person fitted into that kind of system. How, how do you teach and how do you help your clients to, to build that level of connection? It's a great question. Um, you know, and I mentioned the importance of, uh, of, of having that important vision, right? The bigger picture or the purpose. And I, what I find is it's actually not the new businesses or the new startup companies that have the problem. It's actually the established businesses that have the problems um, because they're stuck in their ways. Um, they, their mindset is generally, um, oh, well, that's how we do it around here type of mindset, you know? So, you know, that, especially when you've got people that have been have been in business for maybe sort of 15, 20 years plus, where they're stuck into a routine or a habit. And it's a bit like, you know, you've heard of this analogy before, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Well, unfortunately, uh, you know, the downfalls of uh, slow, I call them slow moving companies. This is where bureaucracy starts to come in. This is where politics starts to come in. And then what that does is it slows the decisions down into a business. And then that's when the downfall starts coming because that's what they can't adapt to the marketplace. And then they, then guess what? We look at casualties, which are out there and there are plenty of, there are plenty of casualties out there right now because they fail to adapt and they fail to understand not just the market, but they all fail to understand that actually together is better. You know, that is the big message that I kind of say to people is together is better. This is not a 
a, a one-man effort. This is about kind of working together in synergy. Um, one of my good friends, actually, who I'm, who, 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 he's, who's a real powerhouse, especially in the United States. His name is called Gary Ridge. And uh, he is the CEO of a company called WD40. His company was actually awarded, I think it was like yesterday, if I remember rightly, as one of the best workplaces to work in America. And right. uh, it's quite a prestige award. But what I love about Gary, now Gary is actually Australian native. He was actually shipped from Australia um, over to the United States to help build not just a tribe, but to understand. Now, WD-40 at the time, they were trying to expand into different markets. They are a national business, you know. Um, and uh, so they have to deal with different cultures. They have to deal with different um, they have to deal with uh, different people in different um, areas of the business. And so what's important is what I've learned from Gary in particular um, is that in order to have a really, should we say, thriving culture, uh, you've got to get your tribes um, to move towards one common goal. Now, they might, they, each tribe might work differently, okay, which is, which is absolutely fine. But in terms of if you can imagine, say you've got a number of tribes and they all, should we say, cross over and in the middle is where, should we say, the vision is or where the kind of common goal is, where the, where the legacy is for the company. And this is, where, this is where the beauty comes in. This is where the synergies come in. But I think what's really important is to understand why are tribes important to your company? Mm. Why are tribes important to your business? Well, they're important because they create communities of diehard fans brand invillagists and activists that basically like uh should we say um uh power or you know kind of they're kind of like sales agents in a way right but then they don't work for you right but they they absolutely love what you stand for they love what you do um you know and and in fairness, what marketeer, what business owner, what CEO doesn't want a small army of what I call brand products loving, you know, fans that love what you offer, what you do, how you help people, how you help people, who doesn't want that, you know? So um, I think that's, I think, first of all, that's really important to establish why tribes are important and the benefits to, to why that is important. Um, so yeah, so that's, uh, that to me is for me, the first steps. I think, I think it's really interesting about what you say. We're talking a lot, quite a bit of, you know, maybe about employees here, but what I, what came up for me in the conversation too, is that, you know, the tribes can be tribes of customers, can't they? But they can also, I, I, when I, years ago, I worked for Mars, the confectionery company, and I went, worked in various different functions from sales and marketing, but in procurement, um, what they, rather than having a, a team which was 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 buying or procurement. It was called supplier development, and it was about building relationships with suppliers. So um, what we would do is we'd strive to build great supplier relationships, and um, so you're trying to build a tribe of suppliers as opposed to it being us and them, and I'm trying to get the best price out of you. And that that yielded more. Suppliers would go the extra mile to deliver because they had a, had a relationship and they were proud to be part of that relationship. And I, you know, I took that through my career really, but I didn't see that happening so much in other organizations. 
Yeah. You know, it's, it, it's interesting. Um, some people say to me, they're like, Adam, where did you learn this tribe stuff from, right? Um, one of the best books that I've ever first read when I got into entrepreneurship, Chris, was a book called The Book of Happiness by Tony Heisen. Um, his name is spelled uh, H-S-I-E-H, uh, Tony Heisen. Um, and he was the CEO of a company called Zappos, which is the online yeah. shoe retailer. Yeah. Um, it was, uh, he's got an inspiring story. He unfortunately, about four months ago, he passed away because he was rescuing someone in a house fire in Philadelphia. But his legacy lives on. His legacy absolutely lives on. But what I love, what I love about Zappos is when they first came about, now Tony's, actually Tony's experience in, in, in online shoes and e-commerce was zero chris it literally was zero he sold his business uh which was in marketing and advertising to microsoft and so what he could have done is he could have taken the money literally just sat on a beach and retired for the rest of his life but he decided that he actually wanted to create something which was a little bit different so he became a it, it actually wasn't called zappos before it was actually called something else before it came zappos but what they, what they wanted to do is when, when Tony went into the company, he didn't just want to be an investor. You know, he really wanted to make a change and an impact and, and change the way we do business. And so what he did, what, which, which is what I find fascinating, by the way, Chris, uh, what he actually did is he wanted to exploit opportunities. How did he exploit opportunities? Well, he looked at, the, he looked at what what his competitors were doing, what were they doing and what weren't they doing more importantly? How could he, how could their company be better? So one of the things that Zappos did is, now the big problems in the online shoe, shoe retailer space about sort of 15 years ago, which is when it was, they had problems with uh, shipping, logistics, uh, customer service. I mean, the list was endless, Chris, richly, really was endless. They wanted to, tap into they wanted to be the uh they wanted to their usp was all around how can i be the best deliver the best by um and their big thing was all about delivering wow so the 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 word was how can i create a wow experience not just for our customers okay not just for our staff but for our shareholders too and how can we then synergize that all together okay so what they did is if you'd order a pair of shoes from Zappos, okay, you'd get a free pair of flip-flops. And so you'd have customers on the line literally like ringing them saying, hey, you sent me free flip-flops, but you didn't charge me for it. This is insane. And people wanted to send their flip-flops back and they're like, no, this is our gift. This is our, this is our delivering wow. People would call up and their call center, Chris, they would call up and uh, they didn't have what general call centers do, which is a timer and, you know, you, so, you have to speak to so many customers within an hour. They scrapped all of that. What they did is they'd have people on the line and, and some, some customers weren't even customers. They just were, wanted to talk to people at Zappos and some people would be on the, on the phone for about 10 hours just talking about, you know, oh, uh, can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? Can you help me with this? What they wanted to do is they didn't just want to create an experience. They didn't want to just create wow factor, but they wanted to create memories like Disney does. 
you know? So if you're on the phone and you get great customer service on the phone, which is quite rare to come by, by the way, these days, um, if you experience that, you know, and even if you're not looking for shoes at the time, who are you going to go to if you've had a great experience? Who are you going to go to? You're going to go to Zappos, aren't you? You're going to go to them. It doesn't matter about price. They don't, they don't, they don't claim to be the, the cheapest. They claim to be uh, what they do in terms of value. So uh, that's what I particularly love about Zappos. And uh, it's a great book. So it's, a, it's a tiny book. Uh, you could probably pick it up for about 10 bucks. But it's one of the most uh, knowledgeable books on company culture. Uh, it's a great example of how they built their tribe. But more importantly, how did they come together in the hard time? You know, and uh, companies going through lots of hard times right now. But it's important to uh, understand where synchronicity comes in and, and synergy. Well, I, I like, um, I remember, remember being in an event with Zappos speaking, and there was a couple of examples that I that I enjoyed from that. Uh, and one of them was was that the, the, the call staff forgot complete autonomy. So, you know, somebody called in, their husband had, had ordered shoes, their husband had died, didn't need the shoes obviously anymore. You know, huge apology, listen, empathy. Not only the shoes immediately refunded a big bunch of flowers come through the post with, you know, sincere condolences from Zappos. But, but that person didn't need to go and ask anybody to do that. They could just go and go and you know, off their own back do it. And the, the other one I loved was um, we had a scheme which was um, – each employee each month can give $50 gift to somebody in the business who has, um, you know, has inspired them and, uh, and, has, and has gone over and above and has wowed them. So actually they, uh, and they thought initially they might do it, give it, just give it to their friends, but they didn't. Uh, and, uh, and that created that lovely, lovely feeling of, you know, trying to attain more and, you know, support each other. And, uh, um, but that's not a typical thing companies would do, is it? No, no absolutely not. So I, I love, I love that. I agree. Yeah. So, so the, I was, I wasn't sure if we only got um, a couple of minutes till we need to, we need to um, move, move uh, further forward. But I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what's your vision for your businesses for the next and your tribes for the next, next few years? What are you hoping to achieve and how do you, how, how do you help? Will you help uh, your customers moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, for me, um, my vision really is to help. Um, we, 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 we love working with SMEs, small to medium-sized enterprises, is what we like to do. And our goal really is to help um, 100,000 SMEs over the, uh, by 2028 specifically, uh, sorry, 2030, um, in helping them to not just grow their, their tribes, but more importantly, to create this, what you've called it, autonomy. Uh, create um, really kind of realize that they have a much bigger purpose, become more entrepreneurial. Um, for me, I, I love what I find fascinating in particular is, is cultures, cultures, ecosystems, understanding human psychology, what what makes people tick. And then how do you then relate back that back to elite sport? Because there are some really great examples of, of, of similarities between the two, um, you know, just that, you know, we have a different technique in business uh, or whatever it might be, but there are such good similarities uh, in, in terms of that. So for, for us, it's about, you know, helping 100,000 business owners by 2030 to, to, to become more purpose-led, values-driven, but more importantly, to be able to have more fun.
Yeah. So presumably that means building digital tribes, is it, to hit that amount of number? That you're gonna... So you're building your yeah, tribes so... digitally, yeah. Yeah, it's not just about building tribes because um, uh, for me, um, it, it's, 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 it's more than that. It's about, um, I'm a big fan of collaboration, Chris. I think that collaboration is so underestimated uh, in this day and age. And uh, in 2020, 2021, um, collaboration, in, you know, and I'll give you a ex perfect example. We've got our new book coming out in October of this year. It's not just me writing my book. This is a collaborative project of people that I believe that were, are going to be going places. And so that's why I've got it endorsed by two huge influencers. Um, and they haven't even seen the manuscript. They're like, Adam, whatever you need, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I've got to go, um, got to finish there. But um, a quick final message, brief one. Quick final yeah, I think final message is, listen, um, stop comparing yourself to other people in, in terms of where you're at. You know, um, I, I always believe in kind of excellence. For me, it's all about excellence. You know, if you, if, you, if you want more out of life, if you want more success in life and that kind of stuff, then you have to turn up as an A player. Everything that you do is with excellence. And, uh, and, and it, then you won't fail because otherwise – if you, if you then fail, then you could turn around and say, do you know what? I did my best. And guess what? That's okay. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail because we're all on a learning journey. Yeah, fantastic. Adam, thank you for bringing your A game today, being an A player. It's been an absolute pleasure talking with you. Uh, and um, on next week's show, sadly, um, my, my, the guest for next week's show um, has had a personal um, issue. And um, we're, what we're going to do next week is going to repeat the show with Stephen Gould who um, created an amazing um, purpose-driven um, development called Everard's Meadows, which I was very heavily involved in. Uh, the most amazing MD, very heartfelt trust, and doing a huge amount for the local community through this development. So we're going to share that with you. Lots of uh, tips and thoughts from that one. And the following week, um, we've got Marcus De Maria. He's going to be talking about uh, enhancing um, your wealth personal wealth. Um, once again, a huge thank you to Adam Strong. Been great talking to you today, Adam. Very inspiring. And if you have any questions, comments, send them to me at chris at chriscooper.co.uk. Okay, Adam, people want to connect with you, uh, website, contact details. Yep, absolutely. You can connect with me on, uh, on Instagram, LinkedIn, or on my personal website, or you can connect with me on my podcast, The Game Changers Experience. Excellent. That's Adam, Adam Strong, uh, dot, is it, is it dot net? Adam Strong. That's great. Yeah, done that. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. I uh, wish you all well and uh, uh, keep, keep, on, keep on moving forward step by step. And then one day um, you just don't know where you're going to be because uh, just that keeping moving, that excellence that um, Adam talked about, do everything each day to your best ability, keep on learning. Um, so back with you again shortly and uh, wish you all well. Thank you for listening to the Chris Cooper Business Elevation Show. Please join your host, Chris Cooper, again next Friday at 8 a.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be more. Achieve more.